Good morning, City Life. Good morning. All right, you all are wide awake. Let's pray. Father, this morning we pray that you would show us your face. God, we mean business with you this morning. We're not satisfied with just hearing about what you've done. God, we want to experience it for ourselves. God, we come to this place asking to be changed, asking you to change our lives, to be impacted, so that we might see clearly what you're doing in our lives in the midst of chaos. So we'll hear your face, see your face and hear your voice clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, good morning. My name is Eric Stevens. I serve here as an elder. Uh, so privileged to be able to speak to you all this morning. We've been going through the book of Genesis. Uh, I love to see patterns in Scripture. And if you look at the New Testament, you see some patterns when it comes to where God declares promises or blessings very soon followed by conflict. What I mean is this. Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist, and immediately there's a voice that says, this is my son and who I'm well pleased, and immediately, bam, he's in the desert being tempted by the enemy. Peter the apostle gets a revelation of who Jesus is, says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and a few moments later, he's almost in a sense rebuking Jesus for saying that he's going to go on the cross to die for the salvation of many. There are these patterns of ups and downs, ups and downs. And if you look at the book of Genesis, they're there as well where God blesses Adam and Eve and says, you may eat of everything. It's at your disposal. And shortly after, the serpent comes and tempts them both and they fall. Abram has been called by God and he's called out of Ur of the Chaldeans in chapter 11. And when you reach chapter 12, you will start to see the same pattern playing out of God's promises or blessings being followed very closely by conflict. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. God speaking to Abraham, he says, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Don't think for a second that Abram is this pious individual who already has an affinity to serving God. Joshua 24, verse 2, he says, Abraham's family context and culture, actually they're moon worshipers. They served idols. So don't think for a second his background or his experience or his family's lineage has prepared him in a sense to be able to hear God's voice and to follow him. The New Testament actually declares that when he leaves, he actually doesn't have a clue where he is going. He's simply following and being obedient to what God is asking him to do. So many of you have come out of backgrounds where it's chaotic. And God's asked you, commanded that you follow him because his plan for your life is sure. Why? Because he is the only person who's going to fulfill the very promises that he has for you. But as we see, wherever there's promise and wherever there's blessing, 
Here comes conflict. Verse 10, now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went into Egypt to sojourn there. Sojourn is a very biblical word to say is live, to live there. For the famine was severe in the land. And as you remember, there's some very interesting things that happen in Egypt, right? Abram knows that when he goes down there with his wife Sarai, that Pharaoh is most likely going to look at her and go, I want Sarai to be my wife. So he tells her, hey, when we get down there, this is the plan. You tell him you're my sister and so that I'm not murdered, right? Not exactly the greatest thing to do as a guy. So I am your brother. You are my sister. That's the story we're going to sell. And Pharaoh finds out, like, what are you doing? What are you doing? But even in the midst of conflict, even in the midst of this area in this region that he is not very familiar with, God is blessing him. And I'm always keen to hear when I'm talking to people, like, hey, what's going on in your life? Well, I'm going through this, I'm going through that. I lean in because I'm just like, in the midst of everything that you're experiencing, do you understand that God is speaking and God is trying to bless you even in the midst of that? There's a famine and so he's in Egypt. And it's interesting because as he comes out of Egypt, although chapter 12 isn't as explicit, Hagar comes with them. And as I think about it, I remember when my wife and I were pregnant. Well, my wife was pregnant, but <laughs> 2008, we're excited about our first child going through the birthing classes. And I'm there and I'm just like, this is kind of strange for me as a guy to be here to tell my wife to breathe. She's been breathing all her life, but whatever, I'll just do what I'm coached to do. And so you're told all these things to do to prepare yourself for what's coming. And then on a Tuesday morning, 5 a.m., laying in the bed, my wife's water breaks. And immediately I'm thinking, this is not according to God's plan. You're supposed to be in the hospital. I'm supposed to be by your side coaching you on. And then within 15 minutes... I deliver Layla, our first child. Not everything goes according to your plan, but God is in the midst of it. And I can imagine Abram being excited, and as you would think with any parent, and him and Sarai, with any parent, they're getting things ready, they're painting the rooms, right? Getting strollers. And when you think about these passages, why is Hagar coming with them? Presumably to help Sarai take care of the very blessing that God has promised them. And you can imagine there the tension and the conflict that's building. Just think when, just think when Hagar is hanging out with other servants and they're sharing stories because people talk. Hey, how are you doing? I'm exhausted. I've got 12 kids that I need to take care of. It's so much work. How about you, Hagar? What are you, what are you doing? You know, it's kind of odd. Sarai doesn't have a child yet. It's kind of an awkward situation. Get to chapter 13. We go from one conflict to another. Remember that Lot, his nephew, was with him this entire time. And Lot is also being blessed by God. You get to chapter 13, verse 7, it says, And there was, a, there was strife 
between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And at that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. It's interesting, God's very blessing towards Abram and Lot now becomes a conflict to where they have to separate. The very thing that God blesses you with becomes a conflict in situations and circumstances that causes you to have to change direction. But even in the midst of that, you go down to verse 15, God's promise, and you see these ups and downs, ups and downs. Verse 15, for all the land that you see, this is God speaking to Abram, I will give it to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if you can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Him and Sarai are barren, no children. You get to chapter 14, conflict again. It's interesting that right before conflict, God is having to reaffirm his very promise over and over and over again. And you think about it, anytime that God has to repeat himself, it's for a reason. Probably not for himself to hear his voice, but it's more for you. Because you're going to encounter a situation where you're going to ask yourself, did God really say? And when you reach that point, you're either going to have to rationalize and say to yourself, well, maybe God meant this and not really this. Or you're going to have to believe the very promises that God told you. And I love this. Love family. Love the nephew. So the enemy, verse 11 of chapter 14 took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot. How about that? Lot got kidnapped. I don't get it. The son of Abram's brother who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions and went their way. And here Abram's now having to get 300 of his servants to go after his nephew, go after his family member that's in conflict. The same family member that said, hey, you know what? God's blessed me. God's blessed you. Let's just go our separate ways. This isn't working out for us. He's now having to go rescue the very person who walked away from him. And it's very soon followed by, as you guessed it, God's blessing or promise. Chapter 14, verse 19. And he blessed them and said, blessed be Abram. By God, most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and be blessed, and blessed be God, the most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. This is when Abram encounters Melchizedek. You get to chapter 15, and by this point, you have felt the rhythm and the pattern of exactly what's happening. God's promise to Abram is immediately followed by some conflict that happens. Or there's conflict that has happened that's immediately followed by God reaffirming the very thing that he's spoken to Abram. You get to chapter 15, verse 1. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. 
Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. You're thinking, all right, here we go again, right? He's going to have a lot of kids. He's going to be blessed. He'll be a blessing to the nations. Very soon in verse 2 of that very same chapter, Abram responds by saying this. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? We just went through that in chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14. And he's asking God, what will you give me? Why? Because almost 10 years have passed. He doesn't see the promise that God has told him over and over that he's going to give him. How about you? How long have you gone since God has spoken to your word and he said, I'm going to do this in your life? And you're like, Lord, how long? For I continue to go childless, and here's where the story begins to take a turn because you start to get a peek into Abram's mindset during this time and what's happening in his house. He says, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Understand this. If you are going to have an heir declared for your house, chances are this is a plan B. Chances are there's a part of you that doesn't quite believe God is going to follow through with what he promised you. So just in case, Lord, let me have my own personal stash here, my own promise, my own thing that I'm keeping aside that nobody knows about, the secret plan that I've come and I've developed by myself. Let me keep this hidden just here, just in case, Lord, you don't come through with your promise. When you get to chapter 16, when you start to read, you're thinking, oh, my goodness, the story's... No, 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 no. It happened way before that. Verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Interesting. God has reaffirmed his promise chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter. And now her conclusion, which by the way, Abram fully agrees with because he also has an heir that he stashed aside He says, actually, God is the one who's prevented me from having a child. How many of us reach the same conclusion? God, you promised this. You said you were going to do this. I don't see it coming yet. You said, actually, God, I think you're the one responsible for not doing this very thing that you've spoken to me. Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. There's there's a backup plan. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Interestingly enough, there's not a lot of dialogue taking place, folks. He goes, okay. (laughs) His heart was already there. 
Not a lot of dialogue, not a lot of chatter, not a lot of back and forth. His heart's already there. Okay. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. Verse 4, and he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked upon me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. You know, you got to think about this in this context. If Abram and Sarai were able to rationalize and go, I need an alternative plan to maybe fulfill what God has promised because he's not coming through. Maybe, just maybe, Hagar, overhearing the same promises that God promised them, would also rationalize and go, maybe that promise was meant for me. Maybe God is supposed to use me to bring about this lineage. So there's conflict. Verse 8 and he, I'm sorry, verse 7, the angel of the Lord found her by the spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. She's heading back to Egypt. She's going back home. Verse 8, and he said to her, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Now listen, I don't know about you, but anytime I read scriptures, there are certain things that God says when the angel of the Lord says where I go, uh, uh, have you not been watching what's taking place? It's like in the New Testament, there's this guy who's laying on the side of this water, and he's waiting to jump in the water to be saved and to be fully healed, right? And Jesus walks up on the scene. He has been there for years. And his excuse is anytime somebody, anytime the water stirred, somebody jumps in before me, I'm unable to get in there fast enough. And Jesus walks up to the scene. Remember the first thing he asked him? Hey, how are you doing? Hey, do you want to get well? It's like, where have you been? So you arrive at verse 8, Agar, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Where are you going? Where are you coming from? Anytime you see that, God is trying to provoke something inside of you, the reader, but also the person who's listening to it. She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, buckle up, folks, return to your mistress and submit to her. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound very good. Doesn't sound, there's a part of you that goes, hey God, can we talk over here on the side? So like in a couple of verses before, like Sarah was treating her bad and mean, right? And so I'm not trying to take sides or anything, but just in this instance, just one time, maybe Sarah was wrong and Hagar, God's like, go back to her. Go back to your mistress. I remember years ago, I worked at a nuclear power plant, and years ago when I had started working at that job, we had actually switched supervisors. And there's this new supervisor. He didn't really know who I am. And I remember a month and a half into him uh, being my boss, 
he called me into his office, and I walk in there, and he's like, hey, have a seat. I'm like, oh, cool. We're going to bond here today. And he's like, hey, close the door. And I'm like, we're not about to bond today. <laughs> and so the door's closed, and he looks at me, and he goes, Eric, you're an absolute disappointment as an employee. <laughs> I was like, could we start over? He's like, you're an absolute disappointment as an employee. You know, over the last month and a half, I wish you were more like employee X or employee Y. But right now, like even the work that you do, it's not up to par. And understand, this is the first time I had really ever talked to him. Like, there's no, hey, how are you doing? What's your favorite color? It's like, hey, you suck. And I'm sitting there, and as a believer, right, I'm a child of God, so I know God's going to bless me. God's going to protect me. And as he's saying this, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, ooh, God's going to strike this man. (laughs) He is about to strike him. So as he's saying all this stuff to me, providing me feedback, I take a kind of scoot back like, oh, fire's going to come down on you from heaven. And isn't it the same thing, right? You're driving around Houston, somebody cuts you off, gives you the one-finger salute. You just kind of stay back like, I know what's coming. God, you're about to strike this car. Wait, why are the cops pulling me over? This is so wrong. This is not right at all. God, where's your justice in this situation? So he provides me that feedback. I leave, I go home, and I can remember God just saying, listen, you serve me above anyone else. But there's a part of me that wants vindication. So as I walked in the next day, I'd walk by the office kind of glancing like, oh, he's still here. God hasn't judged him yet. <laughs> he's still here. God hasn't brought rain of fire on him yet. I do that every day. Go to my seat and just God's conviction like, you serve me, Eric. You serve me. Some time would pass. The same supervisor would call me into his office. And I'm like, round two. Lord, what is happening? And he goes, hey, man, I just want to apologize to you. What? You know, I told you some pretty harsh things, and I just want to be honest with you. I was really having a bad day that day. But there's something about the way that you've responded through this time period that it's really gotten to me. I'm like, thank God this brother's was not in my mind, because all I'm doing is God judge him, judge him. And he's like, the way that you responded was so appropriate and so professional that I I just feel so convicted. I'm like, thank God he wasn't in my head. But now something interesting happened because the same situation that was occurring where he was now apologetic for for supposedly my godly behavior and response, now I'm a little bit bitter. God, why? 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 Where's my vindication in this? It's like, Eric, you didn't know you had bitterness in your heart, did you, until now? This situation happened so I can deal with the bitterness inside of your soul. But a lot of times we're so focused on the events that happen that we lose focus on what really God, what what God is really after in our lives, and that's our heart. God is after your heart and will use every life situation and circumstance to get all of you. He's after the offended, but also he's after the offender. In our culture today, where there's such polarizing perspectives, where your feelings and your emotions are like, 
oh, this side is definitely right. This side is definitely wrong. God says, I want the heart of both. I want the heart of both parties to serve me with all their heart. While we're stuck in the nuances of, but, but God, the details of this, I, I know your, your word says, I am concerned about the heart of every single one of them, the offended and the offender. So God tells Hagar to go back because God is the only one who's going to empower her to have the power to go back to her. God empowers her to do exactly as he's commanded. God finally reveals himself to Hagar, and she's so moved that she'll go back to do the impossible by submitting to Sarai. God empowers her to do this. Sarai obviously would think and go, what is happening? Why is she coming back to me? I mistreated her. And there's a part of her that would have to hear the story of what brought her back. The angel of the Lord met me, and he said that I am supposed to come back and submit to you. And there's a part of Sarai that would go, God is still faithful to his promise, and God will carry it out. And I'm not saying that her disposition remained, because you're going to see in chapter 21, there was still conflict there, but God is wanting to work on every single person who's in this instance. With Abram, God wants them to move in faith and not by sight, not by what he sees. Verse 10, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for a multitude. Verse 11, and the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you're pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wide donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over all I'm sorry, over against all his kinsmen. Verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Ber Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Barad. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Hagar sees that even as a Gentile, God sees and he hears her situation and is able to provide for her even a Gentile. No matter what you think of yourself, no matter how much you think God would never love me. Listen, God is pursuing a relationship with you. He desires to be in covenant with you if you'd only surrender to serve him. Uh, as I mentioned, I work at a nuclear power plant and my commute every morning is about 90 minutes. And so don't ever approach me and talk about Houston traffic and how much you are delayed 30 minutes from getting to your job. Hour and a half each way, 180 miles, okay? 
Why am I mentioning this? Several months ago, I'm driving to work, and there's a lot of time to kill. So what do I do? I turn on some scripture to listen, because faith comes by hearing. Here comes by the word of God, right? And so I'm listening to this passage of scripture, and I fall asleep. Not like nodding off, like I am out cold, driving about 65 miles an hour. The passage of scripture that was playing at this moment was this. Mark chapter 13, verses 35 through 37. Therefore, stay awake. (laughs) For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning. Unless he comes suddenly and finds you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Now, why did I say the story that way? Well, it happened that on my iPhone, for whatever reason, for whatever technological reason that I would never understand, obviously I know it's God now, the last part where stay awake, that last part of the passage There was a glitch in the iPhone to where that part was yelled and screamed, stay awake! And it's in that moment that my eyes opened and I was like, what just happened? And I'll never forget feeling the presence of God and him saying to you, I see you and I hear you. God is an amazing God in how he impacts people and when he speaks to them. So the courage that Hagar would have to go back to a difficult situation comes out of the fact that Hagar has seen him, has heard him. She is alert and she knows that whatever she goes back and faces, God's going to be with her. In the middle of your darkest trial, God sees you. And he hears you. Listen, I don't know what specific conflict is going on in your life this morning. But I am telling you, God sees it, he hears it, and he is for you. We get to chapter 21. Abram, or we're going to see Abraham now, and Sarah, he's 100 years old. And God has fulfilled the very promise That he's been saying in all the passages we've read. Verse 8. He's now had Isaac in the previous verses in chapter 21. You'd think everything is going to go lovely. But again, with every promise that you see, even after he received the very thing that God had promised him in the previous verses in chapter 21, verses 1 through 7, here comes Conflict. Verse 8, and the child grew and was weaned, speaking of Isaac. And Abraham made a great feast that day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian. Here's that conflict again. Whom she had borne Abraham laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son. 
For the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham in verse 12, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also. Because he is your offspring. Verse 14. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent, them, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him in a good way off, but the distance of a bow shop shot, for she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called Hagar from heaven and said to her, again, buckle up, here it goes, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Uplift up the boy and hold fast, hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Verse 19. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin of water and gave it to the boy to drink. And God was with the boy. And when he grew up, he lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Last point is this. God's heart is after the nations. You might think, that's an interesting point. Where did you get that from that passage of scripture? You know, a lot of times we get so caught up in the nuances of the other figures and characters in the story that God's voice is completely drowned out to what he's saying and speaking to us. So let's look at that passage again. Genesis 21, verses 12 and 13, and verses 17 and 18. This is taking out everything that's happening around, and this is all that God says in this passage. Verse 12, but God said to Abraham, do not, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac your offspring will be named, and I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman, because he is also your offspring. And you're like, okay, okay. So what happens? More conflict. They're sent away. And God comes back again in case they didn't get it the first time. He repeats it again to let you know where his focus is. Verse 17, and God heard the voice of the boy and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. Lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. It seems and appears that God is communicating to them and saying, listen, don't focus on the situation, the circumstances, the context of how you got here. Know that my ultimate plan is this. I will make him a great nation. 
As I look around this church, there's so many stories of how God has brought every single one of you to this room. What I find fascinating is that the more I talk to people and ask, how did you find out about us? The reoccurring story that we hear is this. Well, I, I was just searching for a church home and I went on Google and I sat there wondering, you know, what am I going to type? And I typed in, huh, how about diverse church in the city of Houston? Enter. Like, what happened then? Oh, City Life Church popped to the top of the list. What did you do then? I came and I'm looking around and I'm like, what is happening? Now listen to this. You can either find that a coincidence or you can determine in your heart and mind that there are people around this, this entire city who are sitting down looking for a place to go. And every time they sit at their computer, they're like, God, lead me to a place where you want me to serve, where you want me to be a part of the family. And they're listening to somebody telling them exactly what to type in. And they're all sitting there. How about diverse church? Huh. This morning after service, in the first service, somebody walked up and went, hey, man, how you know that? It's the reoccurring story. You see it so many times that you can only conclude that God is the one who is doing this. And as you look around in this room, it is filled with people from different nations. I look at our leadership team, Pastor G having Korean descent. I was born in Kampala, Uganda. You look at Christine, she was born in Nairobi, Kenya. I look at many people here and I kind of think to myself, God, what are you doing? What are you saying? And there's some clues and hints that I hear God saying in the people that he draws to himself. For instance, I don't know why, but God's heart is for the nation of Nigeria. Because God is drawing a large multitude of people to this church from Nigeria. So for me, I get the clue that says, God, you're doing something in that nation. I don't know what it is but you're going to go after it and you're going to use the people in this place to reach it somehow. There are people even from the great country of Texas that God is going to use to do amazing things. God's heart is after the nations. God is wanting to use every person in this room to accomplish the very vision and mission that he has from this city. It is not a coincidence that Houston is one of the most diverse communities in all the nation. It is not a coincidence that you chose to come to this church. It is not a coincidence that you're sitting down in the very seat that you're sitting in right now. It is not a coincidence that you sit there and you're stirred somehow and I pray that you don't conclude that, well, this is just, I kind of feel like God's saying, God is speaking to you this morning. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we know 
that you're after our hearts. We know that you're in the midst of all of our trials and conflicts. And we also know that you're after the nations. And God, I thank you for every single person in this room. I thank you for the fabric of what you're building in this place. And God, I thank you that only you can accomplish this impossible task to bring people from every nation, tribe, and tongue in this place to accomplish the vision that you have mandated. God, I pray that you will equip us, that we would not fall short, that we would not give up and try to run away from that very thing that you've called us to, but God, we will embrace it no matter how tough and difficult it is, that we'll embrace this conflict and know that God, you're in it and you're speaking in the midst of it. Help us see you and hear you this morning. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen.